0: Well, if you would join me in opening up God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 1, we are continuing in our series, Faith Under Fire. As you guys are making your way there, I, I view the preaching of God's Word as both an honor and a fearful undertaking. As often as Pastor Jeff has granted me the opportunity to preach, I, I do so trembling, and uh, today it just sits a little bit heavier, because the subject matter in our text is about uh, not exhaustively, but about the holiness of God. And I don't know about you, but the holiness of God has always been something strange in my life. It has been this, this strange and yet seemingly distant reality. And maybe it's because I live in a world with so many different spectacles that seek to grab my attention. And it's hard to think of something that's transcendent and glorious and more supreme than anything that I see around me that I want and I like. But it's true. Tony Renke wrote a book called Competing Spectacles. And, and he wrote, Images aim to provoke something in us. In order to get something out of us. New images ask for all sorts of things. Our time, our attention, our outrage. Our money, our lust, our affection, and our votes. He goes on to say, We don't merely ingest spectacles. We respond to them. And so I wonder in my life, What am I ingesting and what am I responding to? And specifically, what are those things that are seeking to capture my gaze away from a holy God and to spend them on little spectacles, these little fireflies, if you will, in the midst of the blazing sun? And so that's the question, and that's why it's been difficult. Tony Ranke always always says, my experience is what I agree to attend to. So what am I agreeing to attend to that is informing my experience in life? And should it not be God? Should we not cast our attention to God? The holiness of God is something strange and wonderful and powerful. An old theologian, Rudolf Otto, calls it the mysterium tremendum. Fancy word. (laughs) Which basically talks about how how impossible and strange it is to penetrate or fathom. It is both inciting and it is both scary, right? Right? And I love the way that R.C. Sproul says that. It gives a, a sense of ambivalence when we think about it. Because it has confic- conflicting feelings about the holy. There is something about the holiness of God that attracts us. But there is something about the holiness of God that repels us. It, it both frightens us and fascinates us. And it terrifies us. And I think rightfully so. It should do that. As Moses in front of the burning bush when God says, take off your sandals for the ground which you're standing on is holy ground. And as the man who walked with him and talked with him, for him to still say, I want to see your glory. But you've got to hide it in the cleft because if you gaze upon my glory and my holiness, you will die. It is fearful to gaze into a holy God. But we are to look at him and to see him blazing at the center and allow that to change our lives. The title of this message today is Beholding and Becoming, the Duty and Delight of Pursuing Holiness. And I don't know about you, but I want to have an experience like Isaiah had. Where he looked in the year that King Uzziah died, and he saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And the seraphim, each with six wings, with two they covered their feet, and with two they covered their eyes, and with two they flew. And one cried out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what does Isaiah say? When at that sound, the thresholds just shook and smoke emitted. What does he say? He says, Whoa, Is me, I want to respond, woe is me, and not, mm, I'm good. I want to say, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell with the people of unclean lips, but at the same time to say, here I am, send me. I want us to respond that way. And we get to see God's calling for us to be holy as he is holy in our text. So will you join me in opening First Peter chapter 1? We're going to be beginning in verse 13. I just ask for you guys to please join me for the reading of God's word. Yeah, just stand, please. Thank you. I was not clear. (laughs) Apologize for that. Thank you very much. This is what the word of God says, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass. In all its glory, like the flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Lord, I simply pray, Lord God, that you would allow us to catch just a glimpse of your holiness. Lord, that we would behold it and that we would become like it. Help us, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you know anything about reading God's word, it is always uh, scary to begin a passage with, therefore... Therefore is a big word in the Bible, right? Charles Spurgeon uh, famously said, Wherefore the therefore? What's the therefore therefore? Which sounds something like Jack Sparrow would say, right? Wherefore the therefore? Is that me? Like it's just, it just very strange. But, but it is important to know what precedes the therefore that mandates what comes after it. And, and a few weeks ago, we got to see the glorious realities of what happens before that causes that therefore. That God in the Trinity rescued us he has called us elect exiles by the foreknowledge of god in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to christ and not only that but he has caused us to be born again into a living hope that is imperishable unfading undefiled and he has given us an inheritance that is kept for us and church he promises to keep us too And so regardless of what trials we're going through, how difficult they seem, they're necessary for us. And they're producing in us what he is calling us to be like. Therefore, hopefully, in the grace that will be revealed to you, therefore, be holy, for I am holy. Therefore, live in fear. That's what precedes the therefore. And let's look at what he's called us to do this morning. Because we see that he has, just, he has called us and he provides in his grace both the opportunity to re- restore us and rescue us. We were not saved simply to be rescued, but to be restored. We were not simply rescued to be saved, but to be sanctified. We weren't just saved for something. We were saved for, we were not saved from something. We were saved for something. We're not just saved from the wrath of God, but we're saved so that we might be holy as he is holy. And we become so comfortable with the saving part. And it kind of rubs us the wrong way when we talk about the sanctification part. We, we love to hear. We love to hear the words, you are forgiven. And rightfully so. We love to hear it. We love to peer into it and read it over and over again. But the problem is, is we kind of close our ears off to when he says, Be holy. There's a command from God to be holy. John Calvin, in his commentary on 1 Peter, writes, Then the blood of Christ is not only the pledge of our salvation, but the cause of our calling. So not only does it appease the wrath of God and make us be able to enter into fellowship with him, but it's also what gives us our calling to be like him. And I love how he begins with this passage. He doesn't just get into that mandate. He, he begins with the mind. Because he's aware of this psychological warfare that we endeavor in. When he says, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. He's calling us to think rightly, church. That term literally means gird up the loins of your mind. So back in the day, guys and girls wore dresses. You can call it a tunic, cloak, whatever you want. Let's call it a spade a spade. Guys wore dresses. And what they needed to do was they would have to grab their cloaks and wrap it up and then tie it around their waist so that it would have no impediments to them, whether in war or in, in just exercising activity, to do that. And God is calling us, too, to gird up the loins of our minds, to make sure all impediments, anything that can inhibit us, gird it up. Be ready to run. Be ready for action. Why? Because our minds have a bent, don't they? Our minds have a posture. Our minds have a a viewpoint. Ephesians 4.23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Because of that reason. It has a posture and a disposition, a viewpoint that's already in us. And our minds can be hostile to God. Romans 8 says it. Those who set their minds on the flesh are hostile to God. They can't submit to God's law. Indeed, they cannot. And so because of this, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter is saying, you need to gird up the loins of your mind lest you be infiltrated. And if you don't think you're being infiltrated, let me just remind us, church, we are like Pavlov's dog when the ring of the bell salivation happens. Savvy? When this thing goes off, I'm like, Yep. <laughs> Right, like that's, that's me. When it, it, it controls me, I'm, I'm a slave to it. That's, that's another thing that comes in and creeps in. When we become more impressed with apps than the fact that we are adopted as sons and daughters. When we have exchanged the glory of God for a man in a mouse costume. Oh boy. We can be more about, we can care more to hear about Fox News than we can hear about our Heavenly Father. Like, these things creep in, and if we don't gird up the loins of our minds, we are going to walk in this cloud of uncertainty and confusion. We are not called to be like Myrda in the movie Brave, where she's like, I'll be fighting for my own hand, right? Like, like, we need God's help in this. Horrible movie, shouldn't have referenced it. We are called like, <laughs> We are called, like in Luke 12, to stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. To be ready. And that's what he's called us to do. But also that he's called us to be sober-minded. As if that's not encouragement enough to gird up the loins of your mind. He says, be sober-minded. What's the opposite of sober? Drunk. Do not become intoxicated with your own thoughts and feelings. Or what the world or the enemy is projecting upon you. You are to be sober-minded. Think on the things of the Lord. This picture is better Disney reference, okay? Better picture is that of Pinocchio, right? And it's so underrated, guys. You guys, underrated film, okay? Not only because it was Italiano, but it's an underrated film, okay? Because you have this creator who creates Pinocchio, and he, his desire is for Pinocchio to come to life. And then the fairy comes, and the fairy causes Pinocchio to come to life, And she gives him tasks to do this in life. And if you do this in life, you will become fully human. You see the picture? (laughs) Glorification. Do you you see that? It's it's beautiful. But what happens? Pinocchio needs help. So that Dapper Dan Jiminy Cricket comes along and acts as his conscience to help him. Oh, but Pinocchio, Pinocchio, Pinocchio. He lies and he gets sick off of smoking cigars and he becomes a donkey as being a slave and just falling into trap after trap. And then what happens in the end? He perishes. Do not be like Pinocchio. Listen to that Holy Spirit-given conscience to gird up the loins of your mind, to be sober-minded, to look to Jesus and not all of these outside things. And listen, I—the culture, the cultural rhetoric, all the stuff that's going on, It is a real thing and it affects us. Absolutely. But to be honest with you, I've had it up to here with all that stuff, okay? There is something inside of us that is pervasive, more so than just the culture. Because if you take someone that's alive for hundreds of years and they get to engage in Gen X and Millennials and all that jazz, the common denominator is them. They still have their own sin. And so if we continue to blame it on the culture, we'll make excuses for our sin and not take responsibility for the fact that we have been called to gird up the loins of our minds and be sober-minded and that is God's calling to us so how do we become sober-minded we we make like Philippians 4 8 that says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable just pure lovely commendable think on these things meditate on these things from the Lord because thinking precedes action." B.B. Warfield puts it into terms as the negative rule of life and the positive rule of life. The negative rule of life is that we are depraved sinners. We are born into sin. Our, our thinking is sinful. And that is a positive rule. I mean, that's a negative rule of life. But God called us to himself and has given us a new heart. And, and, and what he's done is he, he's, he's given us this positive rule of life that he's called us to be holy as he is Holy. And so it matters that we don't just go after mere negation, which brings us nowhere, but we go on to positive holiness. It's not just putting off, it's putting on. And that's what God has called us to do. And he's called us to be holy. But what is holiness? How do you adequately define the holy God? It quite simply means separation. He is completely separate. He is utterly holy. Other than he is set apart, B.B. Warfield goes on to say, It is God's whole, entire, absolute, inconceivable, and therefore inexpressible completeness and perfection of separation from and opposition to an ineffable revulsion from all that is in any sense or degree, however small, evil. That's a lot. He is completely separate from all manner of evil. He cannot be around it. If it is in his presence, it is incinerated. He is completely holy. And I love what he says here. It is the crown of God as mercy is his treasure. As grace is his riches. This is his glory. Who is like unto God, glorious in holiness? Who is like him? He is beyond us. And here's the amazing thing, church. He actually purposes to share his highest attribute with us when he says, be holy, for I am holy. This practical holiness is meant to reflect God's personal holiness. And it's not something like righteousness, which is imputed to us. It is something that we must strive for. But I love how it all correlates. It's like God's holiness is the sun that feeds the roots of hoping fully and fearing God. And the roots of hoping fully and fearing God blossom in personal holiness. That is the fruit which it brings. I love that because God's holiness causes the hoping fully and the fearing in God. And fear is a real thing. I say, but like, I need to fear God. But perfect love casts out all fear, and He's my Father. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but also fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I think it matters. And in our text right here, when it says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Another translation literally says, pass the time of your sojourning in fear. Why? That same father that's listed here in this passage also calls him a judge. Oh, my father's a judge? Sweet. I'm going to get out. This is totally cool for me because if I go before the judge, he's my dad. So I'm good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But it also says that he judges impartially. What you do matters. What I do matters. It has consequences and affects other people just other than ourselves. It goes out and far be it that we should cast the pall or degrade what Christ has accomplished for us. That should give us a holy fear. I don't want to sin against the holy God. Who came down and rescued me out of my sin. That should cause a holy fear. And we're supposed to live in it in in this time of our exile. He will judge both the living and the dead. So live in fear. Why? Because you were ransomed from your futile ways. John Piper gives this lovely illustration of a father and a daughter. The daughter is kidnapped from him. And the kidnappers call and, and demand a ransom. They say, You will pay all this money. You will come to this location. You will drop it off. I will send her. She'll pick it up, bring it to me, and then she'll be able to go free. And so he does everything. He sells everything that he owns. He gathers all the money. He takes out a loan and he brings it to the place, all the money. He has nothing left, all because of his love for his daughter. And he brings it to the location. The daughter proceeds to come out of the vehicle, grab the bag. And gives the father a finger. And then goes back and puts her arm around her. Captive. Or captor. That should cause fear in us. That we would not do the same. That the God who has purchased us. By his love. That we would not be people to be like. I'm good. Thanks. But we would live in holy fear. So that we would not do that. But we would run to the Lord. With open arms. There is a. Holy fear and there is an unholy fear. An unholy fear looks like one that gives excuses for why they can't do this or why they sin. That is unholy fear. A holy fear takes responsibility. A holy fear has something inside them that does not want to sin against God and it keeps them from it. A holy fear looks at the reality of Hebrews twelve fourteen, which says, strive for peace. And for holiness. Here it is, church. Without which you will not see the Lord. Almost three years ago, while meditating on God's word, he brought me to that passage. And I was like utterly rocked. Not like, oh my goodness, my fantasy team is not doing so well. I mean like, like utterly rocked. Like someone just gave me, you have stage five cancer kind of rocked. You're saying if I don't strive for holiness, I won't see you? How can that be? I thought I was rescued. Well, if you were ransomed, the fear of the Lord will come upon you and you will walk in holiness. Or you will not. And if we don't walk in holiness, it's not due to a deficiency in God's finished work. It's due to a disobedience in us. And it can be an indictment of the actuality of our salvation. Are you really in him? If you are, flee unrighteousness. He has called us to let the old die, to put on the new. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And even from our text here in 1 Peter, it says, Do not return to the passions of your former ignorance. I don't know if you have any Avengers fans in here. Just one. Great. This is not going to land. But there's a character, Bucky, who is a super soldier, and he is... He is manipulated to do whatever these evil guys want him to do. And there's like these catchphrases like, Freitkar, nein, burn this, right? And when they get to the end of it, he's just like incited to do, you know, like whatever you want me to do, and he does evil deeds for them. But later on in the story, he is broken from that chain. And when they try to do it to him again, he, he doesn't give in. He's not that person anymore. He is free from that. In that same way, do not return to your former ignorance. Live in what Christ has accomplished for us. Do not let the enemy have a foothold. Give no provision to the flesh. And I love this scene in Remember the Titans. My opinion best football movie ever made. That's right. Better than Rudy. I know. Crazy. I said it, but I have the mic. It's Remember the Titans absolutely and so in this in this movie there's a scene where they're playing a tough competition a tough team and oh by the way the refs are in cahoots with them so they're making all these calls against the titans and for the other team team is demoralized frustrated and so the defensive coordinator calls them over assistant coach and he's and they're all frustrated and yelling he's like "Ah, i don't want to hear it i don't want them to gain another yard goosebumps I don't want them to gain another yard. In that moment, he's saying, I don't care about what the enemy is doing. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care how frustrated you are. Do not let them gain another yard. In that same way, church, do not let the opponent win. Do not let them gain a foothold in you. Fight with all of your might, regardless of how tough it is, difficult it is. You stand firm in your faith. And do not let them gain another yard. Be holy as your God has called you is holy. And you will experience a freedom that is unmatched. John Piper once said, the freest people on earth are those who get to do what they want to do. You agree with that? The trick. That wasn't the whole, t- that wasn't the whole uh, definition. He says, the freest people are those who get to do what they want to do. If what they want to do is what they ought to do. How good is that? You can be the freest person on earth if you are doing what you ought to do. If you are doing what God has called you to do, to be holy and to put off the old self, to gird up the Lord's loins of your mind and to be sober-minded, you can be the freest of the free. And not only church, not only that church, you get to hope fully. You get to hope fully. You get to live life through your exile in hope. How can, we, how can we hope fully? How in the world can we do life and hope when we listen to the news or we watch our social media f- uh, feed or we watch our sports teams like LSU? It's just so depressing. Or when we drive down 190, how in the world can we have hope that there'll be any good or any hope in this world, right? I am over 190. How can we have hope? Because the God who rescued us has called us into To be born again into a living hope. We are called by him. Church says, as obedient children, we are his children. We are being sanctified. We have an inheritance that is kept for us. He himself is keeping us in him. We are being kept. And church, grace is coming. It says in verse 13 hope fully. In the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ rends the heavens. The grace that we experience now in part will be fully experienced on that time. We will experience the full grace of God. We will see him as he is. Our inheritance will be given to us. And more importantly, Jesus. We will be with him and we will be like him. So your pursuit of holiness will end in glorification. It will have a happy ending, like eventually in Pinocchio. It will be your end. You will be glorified and you will be made like him. Because what is excellent in, what I love to see in that passage in Isaiah 6, is it doesn't end there. One of the seraphim goes and grabs a coal with tongs and goes and touches Isaiah's lips. And he says, "Your, your guilt is no more and your sins have been atoned for. He's done that for all of us. Christ, who is holy, came to us. In the Old Testament, the priests would have to come and do all these rituals to cleanse themselves before they can enter into the holy holies and make purification for Israel. Christ came to us and made us holy. That's why we can hope fully. He has cleansed us from our iniquity. He has made us new and so we can hope in the future kingdom. We can hope in the future kingdom, not like I did when I was a youth. When I was a youth, I, 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 I could not wait. I was hoping for that next season of life that I was going to bring with it, whatever, promises, possibilities, freedom, whatever you name. But we have a hope that is sure. My hope as a youth was uncertain. I had no idea what was going to happen. But our hope is sure. We will be with him. We will be like him. There will be no more pain and no more tears. I love this. The Puritan Andrew Fuller wrote this. Regardless of the difficulties, regardless how difficult it is in your life as an exile on this earth, Andrew Fuller says, present bitters will render future sweets still sweeter. Still sweeter, church. So therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Your salvation is nearer than when you believed. Every day we grow closer and closer to that day when we will be with him. And our faith will become sight and our hope will be full with him. What glorious truth. And he's given us reasons to pursue holiness. He's rescued us for it, church. He has called us to it, whether we like it or not. This is a mandate from our Savior to be holy as I am holy. He's called us to it. It is a proof of our hope and our faith and that they are in Jesus. When we seek to live holy lives, that we're not putting our faith and our hope in what the next mandate is going to say or what's going to happen in this next year. What's going to happen? Am I going to get another job or not? No, our hope is not that. When we put our hope in Christ, it shows that our faith is in him. And and what breathes out of it is beautiful fruit. Fruit that deems more clout, more likes, more hearts than the most famous influencer on social media. When I see an individual who pursues holiness and they begin to have the fruit of a purified soul, obedience to the truth, when they demonstrate brotherly love to all that they come in contact with, when they live in fear, full hope, and in holiness, oh, that is a beautiful sight, church. That is a beautiful sight. That sight stands out and sets a light for all those that we come in contact with that see the difference in us as God is wholly different than all other things. It is an immense testimony. I don't know where Matt is, but he can, he can come on up. Thanks, man. And, and, and the, the prayer for us is that as we as a church seek to live holy lives, that we seek to obey God's command for us, is that our lives would be a glorious reflection of the God who beams with radiant holiness so that others may see a reason for the hope that is in us. They're looking, church. Oh, they're looking. Regardless of what their platform is, what their stance is, or what their protest is, they are looking because they know you're a Christian and they want to see if that hope is legit. They want to see if living in holiness is worth it. And if you live this way, you you are giving a reason for the hope that is in you. Christ has rescued me, and he's afforded me the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. And it shines bright, church. So those competing spectacles that seek to draw our attention away, that seem more cool and fascinating than the holiness of God... My prayer is that those fireflies, if you will, would be in front of the beaming sun. You don't see them anymore. That holiness of God shines out all the brighter. You don't see those anymore. They, don't, they pale in comparison to the supreme light. That's what we want to see take place, church. And that's what he allows us to do. Why? It's hidden in the beginning of, of chapter 1 when it says, In the sanctification of the Spirit, God has given us the helper to be with us. That Holy Spirit, that that helper, that paraclete to be with us. Who knows the deep things of the Lord. Who reminds us of his word. Who gives us conviction of sin. He is with us to guide us and to sanctify us. To to grow in one degree of glory to the next. To become increasingly like him. We need the Holy Spirit. Every day. We need him as we seek to become more and more like him. And my prayer is, is that, that we would develop by girding up the loins of our mind, being sober-minded, by focusing on God, that, that we would begin to be people who live with conviction, that stand firm for what we believe. Charles Wesley wrote this beautiful poem entitled, I Want a Principle Within. It says, I want a principle within, of watchful godly fear, a sensibility of sin, a pain to fill it near." I want the first approach to feel of pride or wrong desire, to catch the wondering of my will and quench the kindling fire. From thee that I no more may stray, no more the goodness grieve. Grant me the filial awe, I pray, the tender conscience give. Quick as the apple of my eye, O God, my conscience make. Awake my soul when sin is nigh and keep it still awake. Almighty God of truth and love, to me thy power impart. The mountain from my soul remove the hardness of my heart. Oh, may the least omission pain and reawaken soul and drive me to the blood again, which makes the wounded whole. Let that be our reality, church. As we seek to behold the holiness of God and not only just see it, beholding is meant to become something. So as we behold the holiness of God, we would become like him. In all his ways. You join me in prayer. Lord we thank you for your goodness. And your grace. And Lord I pray that you would cause us. To be. As you have commanded us. To be a people who hope fully. At your return. A people who are holy. As you are holy. Who live their lives out in fear not wanting to sin against a holy God that hates sin and is opposed to sin who ransomed us from it, but seeks to submit to him and live lives that please him. Holy Spirit, help us. Empower us for the work that you've called us to do on this earth, that we would run the race and at the end, drop and run to the prize, which is you. church there is no greater way to end this than to celebrate communion together what this table represents is a god who comes to us and cleanses us and says come eat and drink of me and so i'm gonna invite you guys to come and partake in communion presence sin cannot be a holy God whose wrath rages against sin and is waiting for that day when it will be fully poured out on sin for all eternity is the holy God who looked on us in love and brought us to himself he is the God who grants us to be sons and daughters who grants us to hopefully to an inheritance that we are kept to be holy to fear in life by the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood he accomplished it on the cross as he hung in agony for our sins so that this could be our reality church and that you really can walk in this it's not some unattainable feat. It is something God has called us to do by the power of the Spirit. So, as we take these elements, let us be reminded that this is his, his body that was broken for us, that was literally crushed for us, so that this can be our reality, church. Let us take of the bread. Represents the shedding of his blood that was poured out for our sins. That is not only a seal of our salvation, but it is a cause of our calling. So when we take this, let us remember that he shed his blood so that we might be in him and be like him. Let's take together. I just want to say it to us this morning. As we have just read the glorious reality of what God has called us to in 1 Peter 1, what do we do now? Church, we we go, therefore, out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, blessed. Love you guys.